The podcast that you're about to hear contains acts of sex and violence. The hosts do not claim to be experts on the subjects that they present. Listener discretion is advised. And welcome to the Wednesday edition of Brutal Nation. I'm your host, Scott Alexander. Right across from me is the one, the only. You look kind of occupied. Tammy Underwood. Say hi, Tam. Hi, everybody. All right, let's get right to it. So today is Wednesday, and I'm going to be featuring uh, what's called the Highway of Tears for our unsolved mystery. What I'm sub fucking anyway. Nobody knows who the who fuck done it is. Wednesday, Scott. Get That's it. it. Jesus Christ, man. I knew you were thinking. Well, uh, practice last night for the band wore me out, and my brain's just totally cooked. It was good, but goddamn. Huh. I mean, you had to use more than one. I just wish I still brain, did drugs. I wish I, still, I wish I still did drugs. Sometimes when I talk to you, I wish I still did, too. Oh, believe me, I'll be taking some Viagra and all kinds of things when I see your mom. Anywho's, (laughs) so let's do a little bit of the area's background, shall we? This one's a really weird one. It is, because this is actually more than one part. There's some serial killers that I'm going to mention in here, but we're not featuring them today. No. They're just here for honorable mention. We're going to feature one of them, or all of them, I think, tomorrow. One of them tomorrow, I think. I think it's all of them. I think there's one. Was there just one? I think so. Oh, oh we're going to find out. I didn't get to read it anyway. Yeah, anyway. well. Due to, the, due to the extensive nature of these cases, we'll be covering the Highway of Tears in a multi-part series. This episode will concentrate largely on the unsolved crimes which occurred along Highway 16. We are not covering it. every case as there are documented 90-plus disappearances and murders spanning 48 years along the Highway of Tears. In tomorrow's episode, we'll be featuring the five known serial killers active along the Highway of Tears during that time. Oh, I guess it is five. My yeah, bad. That's how I got that, yeah. Mm, well, there you go. All right. The Highway of Tears is a 750-kilometer, which is 450-mile, corridor of highway... Uh, 16, between Prince George and Prince Rupert in British Columbia, Canada. The stretch of road was given the nickname by Florence Nadell, uh, who was thinking of all the tears shed by the victims' families. Mm-hmm. There are numerous municipalities and 23 First Nation communities bordering the Highway of Tears. The people in this area have experienced high levels of poverty, drug abuse, and disconnection from traditional cultures, and the disruption of family unit through, the, to, through either the foster care system or the Canadian Indian residential school system. The latter was a boarding school for indigenous children. Attending the school was mandatory until 1947, and the children were stripped of their cultural beliefs. The program wouldn't be completely shut down, until the mid-1990s, so pretty far into it, right? Wow. Yeah, it's pretty fucked up. The number of school-related deaths range from 3,200 to 30,000. Yeah. Wow. Well, reports vary, but even the lowest reported number is way too high to be talking about a school. That, I know. I was going to say, that's very high. High, high. <coughs> The region we're talking about is so vast in order to see family, go to school or work, or seeking medical treatment that many uh, had to travel long distances. With very few people owning cars, walking or hitchhiking was realistically the only options. There was no public transportation at the time. 
Due to the area being extremely remote and isolated with thick forests, soft soil, interwoven, interwoven logging roads, and an abundance of wildlife to dispose of any remains, this is an ideal location for perpetrators to carry out their crimes. Oh, yeah. So let's talk about a little, little, little touch on victimology. The, major, the majority of the victims are indigenous women uh, who were walking or hitchhiking. Historically, people, uh, people uh, native to the Americas and other indigenous people, the homeless and those in the sex trade, to name a few, are viewed as less important by law enforcement and uh, society in general than those within the mainstream society. Okay. Following so far? Yeah. A little bit. Today's society is slowly migrating away from that mentality, thankfully. Maybe. Maybe. Well, for the most part. Yeah. When when stuff happens, there's there's more... There's more focus on it. Still, sex trade workers are... Oh, yeah. You know, because there's shit about yeah, them. Yeah, human is trafficking sucks. Yeah, you know, and what gets me about the human trafficking part, actually, is like whenever I stop at a rest area when I'm driving or whatever, there's signs there where if you're in human trafficking and need an escape, call 1-800-WE-CARE. Nobody cares. Yeah. I don't care how many signs or posters. Nobody gives a fuck. That's true. You know? And it's sad. It, it really is. They, they, they see you as less of a person no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. Which is, it, it's just... And the side part is, is some of those kids that are in human trafficking is they had, they ran away to get out of an abusive situation. You know yeah. what I mean? And now they're being slaved, yeah. you know, sex slaves. And it's sad. <laughs> you know? I need an allergy pill. God damn it, I'm dying. You're killing me. I'm trying. I know. The first reported disappearance was Tracy Clifton in 1970. From Prince, from Prince Rupert, uh, and she had left her home after an argument with her mother. No trace of her was ever found. Okay. On October 13th of 1970, 17-year-old Helen Claire uh, Frost left her home in downtown Prince George. She was never seen from again. Her sister filed a police report, but believes police failed to investigate, which I believe. Oh, I believe, too. I believe that, yeah. Jean, and she went by the nickname Ginny, uh, Sampar, was last seen on October 14th of 1971 by her cousin, who had left her near a bridge as he biked home to get a jacket. Uh, When he was close, he heard a pickup door slam, or, yeah, slam, closed. Okay. Um, By the time he got there, no truck was present. Some speculate Ginny either ran away or committed suicide due to the disappearance of her boyfriend. Her family, though, disputes the theories. Ginny's boyfriend's body was found drowned in the Skeena River after her disappearance. Wow. Okay. So on, a, so on December 13th of 1974, 17-year-old Monica Ingus was walking home alone from school. So two witnesses saw a car the night before her, uh, she disappeared, pulled over on the side of the road with a girl inside. Monica's body was found on April 6th of 1975. She'd been strangled. She is suspected to be a victim of a serial killer by the name of Bobby Jack Fowler. Now, I want to I point this out. Fowler is also associated with uh, one that we did in episode 16, The Ghosts of Highway 20, John Arthur Aykroyd. And like I said, we, we actually we, fe- we, we featured him on episode 19. Yes. On July 22nd of 2021. Right. So... For all of y'all, 
tune in to tomorrow's episode to hear more about Fowler. Right. I'm going to touch on him tomorrow. Right. And if you don't touch on it tomorrow, I can, because I know exactly what part of Ackroyd's case he's associated with. So, yeah. That's, I wanted to feature him until I saw that he was associated with Ackroyd, dickhead. Ackroyd actually still fascinates me. Kind of fascinates me a little bit, too. And I, I don't know if it's because of the case in general or because Highway 20 is so close. Yeah, um, and then you drive that area a lot. I do. I drive so, up and down yeah. uh, Highway 20 uh, quite a bit. Yeah. Um, I'm watching my dog be totally retarded. Your dog's totally I don't know why. She does that a lot, actually. Look at her. She's hiding her face now. Hiding her face in the cushion. She's so funny. My coon hound really needs a helmet. I'm pretty sure I got a defective one. Yeah, well, defective coon hound, defective Kiss son, defective you. What does that tell you, Scott? Tells me that Corrine Thomas was just <laughs> days away from giving birth as she walked along Highway 16 on July 3rd, 1976. Well, a man by the name of Richard Redcop purposefully swerved to hit her. Both her and her baby were killed. No Purposely attempt- swerved to hit her? Yep. It was, just, it was very common on 16 from what I've read myself. Okay. So um, no attempt was uh, made to save the baby. Three witnesses who were under 16 were taken into custody and coerced after three hours of, quote, supervised interviews. In a changing their statement to say Colleen had been playing chicken with Red Cop's truck. So, uh, Colleen is Corrine. Corrine was uh, indigenous and uh, Red Cop, eh, he was a white kid. Eric Turner, the coroner, was in charge of the inquest. He ruled it an accident. That was until it was made public knowledge that Red Cop had hit and killed an indigenous man 10 years earlier and had been convicted of a lesser charge. But wait, there's more. Of course there is. Richard's brother Stanley had killed Corrine's cousin Larry two years prior on the same stretch of road. Wait, say that again? His, uh, okay, so Richard, the guy who hit Corrine, uh, his cousin Larry Mm -hmm. had killed... uh, Richard's brother Stanley, I'm sorry, Richard's brother Stanley had killed Corrine's cousin Larry two years prior on the same stretch of road. Whoa, dude. So I, I think there's a lot of racism in that. Yeah. And that, that that's not me saying, you know, yelling racism at every no. fucking turn, but it is. It's, it's fucking racist. Exactly. On March 26th of 1978, Mary Jane Hill was found naked along Highway 16. Her cause of death was listed as, now I'm going to get into this, bronchitis and pneumonia due to manslaughter. Okay. And there's even a note. I told my researcher to put this note in there uh, to, to speculate. That's the dumbest fucking thing I've ever heard. If you're mansla- if somebody commits manslaughter and kills you, runs you over, you know, involuntary or voluntary manslaughter, how the fuck are you dying from bronchitis and pneumonia? And I got to thinking about it. I'm thinking that maybe what they mean is that she was she was injured, left there to die. Okay. Develop, you know, because, you know, it's it's cold up north. It is cold up north. Even though it's in March, it's still kind of chilly. Yes. So she could have developed that on the cold, wet ground and, and all that good shit. Okay. So, in addition, serial killer Gary Wayne 
Hanlon was operating during this time frame. And Gary Wayne Hanlon. Okay. Uh huh. Between October of 1981 and August of 1982, serial killer Edward Dennis Isaac was operating in the area as well. Yeah, it's different. There's about a 10-year stretch there, but they're... No, yeah, because, I mean, yeah, because... I mean, I was kind of going over it with your researcher, because she was saying, okay, how about this one? How about this one? I was like, okay. Well, it's because the... (laughs) No, I know. Dennis Isaac fits into this next one. Right. Ronnie and Doreen Jack, both 26 years of age, and their boys, Russell, who was nine years old, and Ryan, four, disappeared on August 2nd of 1989. Okay. Ronnie had met a man... uh, at the First Leader Pub, who offered him a job at a lumberyard. Doreen was offered a job as a camp cook, and they were told that there was daycare available on the site. Okay. As they didn't have a vehicle, the man offered to give him a ride. Ronnie called his mother from the Burns Lake area. That was the last time any of them were heard from again. Wow. Then there's on August 26th of 1989... Alberta Williams was last seen at Popeye's. It's a former club, not to be mistaken with the restaurant. So calm down, black people. Um, I'm sorry, that was horrible. We're getting a Popeye's in my town. Be quiet. Oh, Jesus I'm excited. It's not that great. I love Popeye's. No, whatever. Uh, She was last seen wearing a blue sweatshirt, black stretch pants, and slip-on shoes. Her body was found on September 25th, so almost a month later. Naked, sexually assaulted, and she had been strangled. 13 days prior, bloody clothes, now you're going to love this next part, resembling what she had been wearing were found near a ferry tossed into the bushes. Along with the items was a blue sweatshirt, a slip-on shoe, singular, a jumpsuit, pillowcase, two pillow covers, a sock, a shoelace, and a crumpled up piece of paper. So a sweater can be mistaken uh, for a non-hooded sweatshirt, and she could have been wearing a jumper underneath the, sweat, uh, the sweater, which could be mistaken as stretch pants, for because uh, nobody can see the top part of it. Right. True. The, clo- the clothes found um, are more likely an outfit for clubbing than her last known clothing description. The evidence was destroyed, though, by the RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, before her body was found because it was deemed unrelated. Okay. So, during this time here, on uh, November of 1989, saw serial killer Brian Peter Arp active in this area. Arp. Arp. A-R-P. Shortly after 5 a.m. on February 5th of 1990, Prince Rupert fire crews were called to a structural fire in which the apartment building was engulfed in flames. Helga Rochin, 45, and her daughter Sherry, who was 26, and Pauline, 19, along with their infant granddaughter Kimberly Dumas, visited for the night. All were killed in the fire. About four months earlier on Halloween night, on October 31st, which is Halloween, for those of you that don't know, and if you don't know, this just go away, because Halloween's awesome. The building had also been set ablaze. In both instances, the cause was arson. Years later, an anonymous source claiming responsibility in the form of a letter to the family. Okay. 
My nose itches. Sorry. I was wondering what you were doing over there, I, making yeah, weird ass fucking it, faces. I just want to scratch it. Pick it. Pick it. Pick it. Shut up, freak. On, on June 13th of 1990, 15-year-old Delphine Nicola, yeah, that's it, vanished. Delphine? Delphine Nicola, N-I-K-A-L. Nickel? Nickel. 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 Yeah, okay, nickel. Weirdo. She was last seen hitchhiking along Highway 16, trying to get home. The previous year in October, her cousin, Cecilia, 18, uh, who had all, she'd also vanished. Both women are suspected to have been murdered. Okay. Three years later, another cousin of theirs would be killed. Damn. That's a, I hate to be in that family. Well, and the majority of these people are the, are, are First Nation. Yeah. They're, they're, they're native to the Americans. Right. So these are Indians, folks, if in case you don't know what the hell I'm talking about. We're talking feather, not dot. I'm going to feather you in a minute. <laughs> That's what she told me. That's what your mom said, too. In September of 1990, Donna Charlie was reported missing. She checked into the Sportsman's Motel. And you're gonna, I love this story, actually, because it's just gruesome. It's fucked up. With her boyfriend, Jerry Smollett. Yeah, Smollett. Smollett? S-M-A-A-S-L-E-T. Smollett? Yeah, whatever. Anyway, the motel owner, Richard Hunter, found the room in shambles and blood on the walls. April 17th of 91, her headless body was found buried in a shallow, shallow grave across the street from a playground. Ooh. Uh-huh. And her head was never found. Oh. Smoslet was charged with murder. Two of his cousins helped bury the body. And uh, he told them that, she, that he had decapitated Donna. While she was still alive. And all, it plays in. You're like, well, what's this dude have to do with it? Just just hold, hold your panties, boys and girls. We're going to get to that. Well, my panties weren't unheld, but okay. He was convicted of second-degree murder, by the way. Yeah, only second-degree murder. Okay. But it was overturned by appeal, and a new trial was ordered. Smallset pled guilty to manslaughter, and he was sentenced to, get this, one year in addition to the 38 months he had already served a lifetime of probation. And a lifetime of probation. How long? Got one year in addition to the 38 months that he had already served. Okay. And a lifetime of probation. For wow. decapitating her. Four years and two months for beheading his girlfriend. So. This Moral dude, of this story is. Well, get this. <laughs> This douche canoe was arrested in 2001 after another incident involving a woman at a motel where he held a woman for four days where he beat her. Wow. Courts now deemed him a dangerous offender, and he was sentenced to, uh, to prison indefinitely. Yeah. That these kind of occurrences happen in town only goes to show how easy they could occur in remote stretches of Highway 16. Yeah. On June 1st of 1991, Ramona Lisa Wilson, who was 16 years old, uh, was hitchhiking to attend a dance uh, and stay with some friends. She never made it. When her mother reported her missing, officers dismissed, dismissed her as a runaway and were told to, quote, give it some time. In spite of her having no reason to have done so, like run away or anything, her right. remains were found in April of 1995, naked near Smithers Airport. 
several items, including uh, a half brew, a half used, half bruised, what? Piece of rope? Anyway. Half used? That's right. Thing. Whatever. A piece of rope was found. <laughs> Three interlocking zip ties and a small pink brass knuckle style water gun were found in a neatly organized pile near her body. Her pants and sweatshirts shirt was also found nearby, but her shoes were never located. In July, Roxanne Thera, who was 15, she was a sex worker, told a friend she was going out with a customer. Her body was found August 17th in the bushes along Highway 16. December 9th of 94, Alicia Germain's body was found stabbed to death behind Haldy Road Elementary School off of Highway 16. And she knew Rox, uh, Roxanne Thera. Okay. Sheila Frey, King, Kynquins? Anyway, body was found in her, in her apartment in Prince George along with her three-year-old daughter on April 15th of 1995. They'd been strangled. Her common-law husband, John Joseph Seymour, was found dead the same day under Alex Fraser Bridge in Delta, which is just south of Vancouver, B.C. Okay. In October, Lena. In October, Lena Derrick, who was 19 year, years old, was last seen at a service station, possibly getting into a car with two men. She was never seen again. On October 31st, 1999, because they were partying like it was 1999, Monica McKay, who was 18 years old, was last seen in Prince Rupert by a friend before midnight. Her body was found dumped beside a dumpster on January 8th of 2000 by a passerby. Autopsies show that she was murdered, but the police refused to release how. And this goes beyond keeping unique details from the public to help in, conf in confirmation of a suspected serial killer. Right. Or any kind of suspect uh, as a killer. They wouldn't, even re they wouldn't even release the most basic of how. That's crazy. So much for trying to find the killer, right? Yeah. That's stupid. So, Nicole, Nicole, and don't laugh at the name, Whore, H-O-A-R, I'm not making up her name, she's 24 years old, was last traveling by foot to Smithers. This is still in Canada. Not Mr. Smithers from... I got that. Where's Mr. Smithers from? Oh, the Simpsons. Simpsons. She was last seen walking towards an orange car driven by a white male. It's always got to be a white guy. But not seen getting in. She's still missing. Wow. There's a lot. God damn, I'm only on page eight of this shit. There's 13 pages. On April 15th of 2004, 13-year-old <gasps> no, Kayla Rose McKay was found dead near Prince Rupert Harbor. The RCMP, Royal Canadian Mounted Police, for those of you that haven't figured that out yet, um, have deemed it was not murder, suicide, nor natural causes. They have not ruled out criminal involvement and have classified it as a homicide. So that's where I'm a little confused. Homicide, but not murder. Accidental death without a suspect. All of that made no freaking sense. No. All right. So here's where the kind of the victimology changes a little bit as far as age. Margaret Newski, who was 89 years old, was last seen hitchhiking near Fraser Lake. An 89-year-old hitchhiking. 
Hey, Shelly, let me show you my late wrinkled legs. I can give you a gum job. She suffered, she suffered from dementia and had trouble walking. She may have been trying to get to Prince George, wandered off, into, uh, wandered off to look uh, for her traditional hunting ground, or something else entirely could have happened. Though her age places her outside of the typical Highway of Tears victim pool, she was an indigenous, an indigenous woman hiking alone on... Highway 16. Right. So she got the honorable mention. Even though 90 years old, pretty sure she lived a full life. Yeah. But still. Tamara Lynn, Chip, Tamara Lynn Chipman was last seen about 4.30 p.m. on September 21st of 2005. So she had been visiting her mother and her friend but was trying to get home for a scheduled court appearance regarding an assault charge. She done whoop someone's ass is what she did. Sound like it. So that's my beer, bitch. She went all white trailer trash on him. Even hold she, my beer. <laughs> even if she's indigenous, that's, that's total fucking hold my beer shit. It wasn't until November her father reported her missing. Terrence and, and Rupert police launched an investigation, which was aided by friends, family, and volunteers. And every log, logging road between the two towns were searched to no avail. Couldn't find None. it. Gotcha. But, you know, she's got that court appearance, and maybe she said, ah, I'm going to go to the U.S. You never know. Yeah. On February 2nd, 2006, Alaya. Alaya? Uh, anyway, Elea Catherine Sarek hyphen Onger, God, shorten that shit, had gone to a friend's for a sleepover. <coughs> Sorry, so I'll take meds for the shit. For some reason, in the middle of the night, she decided to go home. She's like, I'm taking my toes and going home. <laughs> she was spotted on surveillance video at a Save on Foods bar at about 1 a.m. She was last seen getting into a black van. Hey, it's a black one instead of a white one this time. So that's good. That's you know, good. that's good. Her body was found in a ditch by a motorist at a turnoff on Highway 16 near Mount Tabor, 12 miles from Prince George, where she lived. That's a long hike, man. That is a long hike. September 8th of 2007, Bonnie Marie Joseph, who's 32 years old, was last seen hitchhiking... Uh, to appear for a court date, another court datey. Right. She was one of the last ones required to regain custody of her five kids. Oh, this was that the court date. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm dying over here. Fuck me. Uh, and she she hadn't missed a single appearance previously, by the way. Police said she lived a high-risk lifestyle and was known to, to go hitchhiking along the Highway of Tears corridor. Before Bonnie was reported missing, but after her disappearance, her wallet with her ID and an uncashed check was found near a lake. It wouldn't be until a year later her family was notified of the discovery. Okay. The very factors which made Bonnie's disappearance uh qualifies as a highway of tears abduction or what appears to have led to her case's dismissal by the authorities. Okay. 
So around the same time, you get another serial killer by the name of Cody Legendbach. Yep. Le- Legendbachoff? Yeah. What a jack name. God, Cody, fucking kill yourself over that name. Was operating in the area. Jesus fucking Christ. It's a messed up name. On May 28th of 2011, Madison Scott had been at an overnight camping party at Hogsback Lake. Her friend, Jordy, last saw her snuggling into her sleeping bag in her tent. Jordy was drunk and had been minorly injured. <clears throat> she wanted to go home, whereas Madison had no desire to move. I don't blame her. When I'm drunk, I don't want to move either. Yeah, I'm I'm hearing you really bad right now. My sinuses are draining. I just feel like shit. Did your phone just vibrate? No. Oh. I'm just over here shaking my leg. Oh, okay. So anyway, Madison was last seen around 4 a.m. by others at the party. The next morning when Jordy returned to check on her friend, she found the tent door open and the bedding shoved to one side. Thinking nothing of this, Jordy headed off to work. A few days later, when Madison hadn't returned and wasn't picking up her phone, her parents went looking for her. Right. They found her truck abandoned and called the cops. In her truck was an unopened li- was unopened liquor, gasoline, a m- motorbike equipment, and a camera and her purse. She may have had her phone and keys with her. Though there was no sign of a struggle, foul play is suspected. Right. That. Sounds like it might be. It is. That, 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 that whole thing just sounds really fucked up. I mean, what woman really leaves all that, including her purse behind? I See, and we got into that with the Honolulu Strangler, remember? Right, right, that right. Because like, that one girl ended up missing. Her car was abandoned, and the, the guy was like, she had to have been taken by somebody she trusted because she just left her purse on the front seat. No yeah. girl does that. Yeah, I was just, I've been with a lot of women, and y'all are And even some men, huh? Purses. Super duper, that's right. His name is Bradley. I can't help it. But, um, you know, most women won't leave their fucking purse behind for shit. Yeah. Yeah. So, on... Fucking fierce, fierce guard dog. On June 13th of 2013, immaculate, quote, Mackie is what he went by, Mary Basil had been at the house party only a 20-minute walk from her home. Okay. She was last seen heading to a cabin in Leo in Leo Creek area. Mackie had been on her way uh, there with with her cousin Keith and another man by the name of Victor when they were in a car accident. Mackie separated from the two and headed off into the cabin by herself. Mackie okay. would call her sister religiously by 10 a.m. every morning. After a few days of missed calls, she reported her missing. Keith and Victor were interviewed by both the police and a psychologist. These interviews included a polygraph test, by the way. Nothing was found uh, suspicious during the interviews. However, multiple witnesses saw Victor the morning after her disappearance walking down the street, the streets of Taki, T-A-C-H-I-E, okay, with wet clothes. Okay. He was wet, so wet. You, moist. You know, there are some things. I don't even like that word anymore because of you. Wet or moist? Either one. I'll use that in a sentence. 
Your mom was so moist when she saw me. <laughs> I love the cringe. Anita Florence Thorne was last spotted at uh, a Super Save gas station and at Tim Hortons on uh, November 19th of 2014. The next day, her, uh, her car was found at a turnoff for Willow River. Her purse was inside a, the, the unlocked vehicle. She is thought to have, been, to have taken her keys, cigarettes, lighter, and her cell phone with her. Okay. Wherever she got abducted to. Your dog is going psycho. Yeah, can you take care yeah, of that? I'm going to go yell at her. On May 6th of, of 2017, Roberta Marie Sims was last seen near her home across the street from Central Fort George Traditional School in Prince George. Though she was never found, police believe the car, uh, I believe her car was used in her murder. On July 5th of 2018, Chantel Catherine Simpson's car was found near a gravel pit in Terrence. She had uh, last been seen the day before. Though a missing persons bulletin wouldn't have wouldn't be released until two days after her car was found. Chantel's body was discovered on the 22nd in the Skeena River and recovered by Terrence Search and Rescue. Her identity was confirmed through tattoos and her cause of death has not been released. Okay. See, a lot of disappearances and a lot of fucking actual deaths, right? Yeah. And a lot of, we're not going to bother even looking for them. And that's what bothers me a lot, you know? Yeah. Once again, kudos to the police department in Rochester, New York. Yeah. Because I'm telling you, man, everything that I've read, because I've, I've got curious when I was sitting around and did a lot of research on Rochester cases and shit like that. Honest to God, you guys are amazing. Right. Because I've noticed that almost every time, and this is way back from like the 60s and shit like that, that something came up, your detectives are on it. Right. You guys are like, hey, no, we got a problem. Let's solve this, you know, and let's do everything that we can do. Right. Is every case solved? No. But at least you guys give 110%, not yeah. like a lot of law enforcement agencies. Yeah. This is true. And I, I, I want to... I want to give Rochester PD in New York as much credit as I can because they're, they're just amazing. That's right. Maybe that's one place we won't get arrested when we go. I actually want to go there and interview their detectives and cops because they're they they're just. Wouldn't I, that be nice? I, I love the work that they do. To yeah. me, they uh, every case I've read, they do. Anyway, we got a few more of these, and we'll get through these, and then we'll get on to tomorrow's. So anyway, Jessica Patrick. Balzer? B-A-L-C-Z-E-R? B-A-L what? B-A-L-C-Z-E-R? Balzer? Balzer? Yeah, close enough. Anyway, she was 18 years old. Disappeared from the Smithers McDonald's or the Mountain View Motel. It's unclear which uh, was the last place that she was seen. I was going to say, are they right next to each other? Probably. (laughs) On On August 31st of 2018... Her body was found on the Hudson Bay Mountain Road down a steep embankment on September 15th. So, a couple weeks later. Right. Plenty of decomp to go around, right? Yum. 
So we got some suspects. A number of people have been charged with the Highway of Tears killings and disappearances over the years, including five serial killers. Yet a large amount have remained unsolved and in many cases largely uninvestigated. Yeah, I was going to say, are they even being investigated? Yeah, mostly indigenous people. Yeah. So people like, you know, the, the cop shops are going. Yeah, so basically cares? it's like, you know, our police stations up here, I mean, down here, like the hookers and, you know, the prostitutes and the drug addicts and the homeless. Right. Yeah. Nobody gives two shits, which yeah. is fucked up. On October 22nd of 2015, Elizabeth, and this is part of a scandal thing that says scandal in highlight. <laughs> Elizabeth Dunham published a 65-page report detailing how uh, ministries, ministerial, Min- ministerial, sorry, we haven't used that word before, <laughs> on phonics shit. How ministerial assistant Greg Greets triple deleted all the files related to the Highway of Tears cases from Tim Duncan's emails. Duncan received a Freedom of Information application requesting all documentation. Okay. Greets ordered Duncan to delete all the files. When he didn't do so, Greets reached over and did it himself. And Greets was fined a whole $2,500 in Canadian. So Canadian money versus U.S. money. It's worth 75 cents on the dollar. Okay. So for every dollar of U.S., it ra- it's, and that, that's an average of 75. Sometimes it's a little lower. Sometimes it's a penny higher. But it's right about between 73, 75 okay. cents. That makes sense. In 2005, the RCMP launched a project called EPANMA, PANA, EPANA, which focuses on the investigations and murders or missing women along Highway 16. Okay. Within a couple of years, they were overwhelmed by the number of unsolved cases. This project was able to connect crimes to Bobby Jack Fowler, some of the crimes at least, and he was... Uh, a suspect in two murders. By 2014, the task force members dropped from 70 investigators to 12 due to budget cuts. And there's a note. Not all Highway of Tears cases are part of EPANA, uh, though some of them do overlap. Okay. In March of 2006, various indigenous groups uh, hosted a two-day symposium in Prince George regarding the Highway of Tears. In attendance were the victims' families and 500 tribal leaders from across British Columbia. Okay. One of the recommendations resulting from this meeting was the need for a shuttle bus operating along Highway 16. The most obvious and simplest solutions, by the way, to, you know, to create a positive impact. (laughs) Hey, people are hitchhiking, getting abducted and murdered. You know, maybe we should have, uh, what should we do? Dumb, dumb asses. Six years later, their findings would be publicly supported by British Columbia Commissioner Wally Opal. Another two years later, another symposium would be held focusing on the need for medical and non-medical transportation. In June 16th, 10 years after the first symposium released their recommendations, Transport Minister Todd Stone announced a collaboration across local communities to provide bus service along Highway 16, which would be funded by the federal government and the government of British Columbia. Okay. One year later, 
Transit Service began operations on alternating days along the 250-mile section between Prince George and Burns Lake. So let's do a little bit of final thoughts, and then we're going to get on to tomorrow's episode. I don't PSA have any announcement. Thoughts. PSA announcement. The concept of having to wait 24 hours before reporting a missing person is a plot device used by TV. Shows and movies in order to build drama within a story. The first 24 hours are critical in locating a missing person. Of course, one should try calling friends and places that they work, you know, for any missing adults. Right. You know, call around first. But don't wait days before reporting a goddamn disappearance. Right. Don't believe what the fucking, this is my own thing, not just my research. Don't believe what the, the, the TV wants to build drama. Okay. Right. Uh, missing kids, you call immediately. Missing adults, you call after you've, you've made some reasonable yeah. effort. Call friends, call neighbors, call yeah, the work and still, shit like that. I mean, even if they tell you that you need to wait 24 hours or whatever, call. Yeah, call. You know? Create that paper trail. That's right. And do everything you can to Stupid. find your loved ones. I just well, whistled a so little. So many people believe what the TV tells them. Yeah. You know, uh, that, that's, that's how they think. The TV thinks for them. And yeah. it's, it's, it's redonkulous. It's just stupid. Well, that's happened with John, John Arthur Aykroyd. Let's bring that up again. His, how um, Shandy's mom didn't report her missing. Oh, yeah. Because he said that, oh, you can't report it for 24 hours. Well, first of all, she was a child, so that wasn't even true. But she should have at least tried to call them. Correct. Even if they told her, no, you have to wait till tomorrow. Call us back tomorrow. Yeah. You know? Yeah, exactly. So, you know, protect your loved ones. Protect your friends, your family, and your children, for God's sakes. Yeah. All right, I'm going to wrap this one here up, boys and girls. Remember, you can send us an email at BrutalNation at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check out uh, our Patreon page uh, at TwistedBlueLLC.com. Check us out on Medium, Crime Beat on Medium, and wherever you get your blogs, just type in at BrutalNation. We'll pop right up. You can read the story. This show's copyrighted 2022 by Twisted Blue LLC. All rights are reserved. We will see you guys manana when we talk about the five serial, five of the serial killers from the Highway of Tears. Take care, boys and girls. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.